The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook podcast for the month of June is The Majesty's Men. The Majesty's Men is a multifaceted venture for maximizing men by glorifying God together. TheMajesty'sMen.com focuses on creating content and community for men with an evangelical, reformed, and complementarian perspective on issues we face and roles we fulfill as men of God in our society. The Majesty's Men hosts the Honor God Network, which focuses on content and ministry for men of God. The Honor God Network takes the massive infrastructure and premium tools of TheMajesty'sMen.com and shares them with exemplary men of God who are faithfully, boldly, and winsomely serving others and engaging society with the gospel of Jesus Christ via their personal blogs and podcasts or other projects and ministries. The Majesty's Men then assist in the management and upkeep of the site so everyone can continue doing what they're doing with excellence. A membership on one site gives you access to all the sites in the network and many blogs, podcasts, resources, and projects, and other partner ministries that are in the works. Learn more, join in, and contribute at themajestiesmen.com. Learn more about the Honor God Network and see if you and your work may be a good fit to join by simply typing hnr.gd into your browser. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. All right, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to be able to interview uh, a new acquaintance slash friend of mine from Nashville, Tennessee, Scotty Smith. Scotty, how you doing today? Good, Jared. Great to be with you. Well, good deal. We're glad to glad to have you on, and uh, I think my listeners are really going to enjoy this. we got some questions that we're going to throw your way, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll just, how about we get right into it? Sounds great. Okay. Father, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you that right now we are uh, your sons, and we stand forgiven of our sins, and your favor is upon us, that uh, the very righteousness of Christ is counted as ours, and we just uh, thank you for that. And I thank you for a brother who has encouraged me in uh, in your grace, and uh, just even as a, a month and a half ago down in Florida, getting to benefit, hearing from him. And uh, I'm just so thankful for, for him making the time to do this, and I pray that, that you would just lead. Holy Spirit, I trust that you're going to uh, just... As always, I would just ask you to point a big spotlight on Jesus, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, for those who um, who don't know you or uh, may not be all that familiar with you, Scotty, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, Absolutely. and and your work? Absolutely. So I am native of the great state of North Carolina. Both myself and my wife are. We've lived, however, in the Nashville area for forty years. So. Um, called to ministry, been actually ordained, um, which is not a calling ever anticipated, but uh, for over uh, over 40 years been uh, ordained in ministry uh, in the Nashville area. I planted and pastored a church for 26 years in Franklin called Christ Community Church, and uh, uh, a senior pastor of 26 years. Then I went on uh, to the staff of one of our daughter churches, West End Community Church. We're in the PCA tribe, Presbyterian Church of America. Yep. And for the last six years, I've been serving as teacher in residence at West End, um, from which uh, I'm sent out to do a lot of kung fu, kung, uh, cool, fun gospel stuff. Start sending like, kung fu there for a minute. <laughs> well, kung fu stuff, that sounds jobs, fun. <laughs> some adjunct faculty, a few seminaries, uh, 
teach in various environments and get to meet a lot of great young church planners and leaders like yourself, Jared. It's, mm. it's real. It's a real uh, privilege to have my calling. Yeah. Well, we got to bump into you. My wife and I, we were down at the Sojourn Network Wives and, you know, Pastor and Wives Retreat, and you got to go down there. And, you know, sometimes God asks you to go to really difficult places, you know, yeah, like Naples. Somebody's got to go to Naples, Florida. You got yeah. it right. <laughs> so, uh, bring, so tell us when you were converted. When did, uh, when did no, you I become a Christian? I believer. I grew up um, in a very. Um, nondescript church in North Carolina, we weren't conservative or liberal. We weren't fighting fundies or liberals. It was just, uh, you go to church because you live in the South. But as a senior in high school in 1968, uh, one of my best friends came to faith through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Ministry, and he uh, pretty much drugged me to a Billy Graham movie called The Restless Ones, where March of 1968, long before you even sucked any oxygen, <laughs> uh, I came to trust Jesus, plus I think for my salvation. So, uh, mm. yeah, over 50 years ago, and I uh, got to live through the Jesus movement and have been in gospel discovery mode ever since. Wow. Well, that, so the 60s, late 60s, early 70s seem to be an interesting time. I have on my bookshelf, God's Forever Family. By yeah. yes, and he talks about that season, and I, for the younger guys that are listening, because my most many of my listeners, we have some some guys that are your age that are, are listening, you know, your age, fifty, fifty four, uh, that are. Uh, <laughs> You're generous. My next birthday will be number seven. Uh, That's all right. We'll with your That's okay. uh, I thought there we go. The patch on give you a little ego boost there. Uh, not that pastors need one, but um, you know. That season uh, in our yeah. American history seems really interesting, and at the move of God, then what would you like younger guys? So I'm 35. What, what would you like younger guys who didn't get to see that? What would you like people in general to know about the move of God in the late you know, well, 60s, let me, let me, yeah, early I 70s? I love answering that question, Jared. In fact, I point um, women and men like yourself towards a wonderful book um, by Richard Lovelace called Dynamics of Spiritual Life, which is pretty okay. much a history of renewal and revival. Uh, in church history, but also contemporary history. And he does a great job of talking about the Jesus movement, which was basically a sovereign movement of the Spirit beginning in the West Coast and moving East in the mid to late 60s and early 70s. And, uh, you know, it was just a time of where we were profoundly aware of both hunger and restlessness and God just making um, the good news of Jesus beautiful and relevant to a lot of people. I mean, mm. it really was a genuine renewal movement, which as Loveless, Richard Loveless in his book describes is, uh, renewal is always a rediscovery of the gospel, especially uh, an understanding that in Jesus, as you prayed earlier, we're not just forgiven, we're also declared righteous. So yeah. uh, it, it was just, you know, it, it were just incredible time it was the 60s so people were automatically in that posture of questioning the past and questioning structures and so um a lot of people came to jesus and uh it was the beginning of contemporary christian music and i would say uh connecting head and heart Mm. theology leading to robust um doxology and so you know i'm so glad to be a, a product and an heir of that great movement yeah yeah, that that is so. It is so interesting. I, I was really fascinated. I'm going to pick that book up and I'll I'll put it in the show notes for our 
listeners to be able to find. And uh, but yeah, that that is such an interesting time. So so tell us then. You, you kind of alluded to it just a second ago, but you you didn't think you were ever going to be into ministry in ministry. And no. could you? So what what was that internal and, and kind of external process for you of, of being called into ministry? Well, I had um, my first discipler back in 1968. Was this uh, a dear man named J. L. Williams? He grew up as a missionary kid in the a Methodist Wesleyan tradition, although he was never hooked into any particular theology other than broadly evangelical. But um, he started a Bible study, and a lot of us young converts in the late 60s started studying with J.L., and the core of the gospel was really clear, and uh, during the 60s we were all beginning to think about, so what do we want to do with the rest of our lives? And Mm. uh, my father was a professional photographer and um, basically decided to move out of that and was going to hand over his business to me. And so I was in that precipice of, is that really what I want to do, to, to mm-hmm. uh, walk into my father's photography business? But the Spirit just clearly stirred my heart and gave me what you really identified as a, an internal call. I was a freshman in college, mm-hmm. and I just felt in my heart this sense of, uh, I mean, and, and I'd never have heard God's audible voice beyond the Bible, and there's right. plenty of it there. But uh, this real sense that, yes, uh, you are to be set apart uh, for the ministry of the Word and the Gospel for the rest of your life. Now, mm. my assumption was, Jared, being a child of the 60s, that would never involve seminary or the church. I de-churched long before it was popular, so but that was <laughs> just the, the beginning of the internal call, and then... Um, External call uh, happened when a Greek professor, of all things, of mine at the University of North Carolina, very secular school, but he said, Scotty, I believe God wants you to go to seminary, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, and then he's called you to the ministry of the Word. So Mm. that got me into seminary where I, even at that point, never assumed I would be involved in the local church, but in Providence became clear that was where... Uh, God would call me to the ministry of the word. Hmm. Yeah, that's that is. It, there, there are so many. It seems at first the, you know, anything God but pastoral ministry, and, yeah. <laughs> and then and then God gets us, you know, and pulls us well, in. I, had, I should put this in there. Uh, while I was in seminaries, when my um, most endearing and um, enduring spiritual father, Jack Miller. Uh, He was a professor of mine at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, and he was the first person that put in my heart even um, an understanding of the centrality of the church, but also the beauty of church planting as a way by which God would uh, draw his people to himself and expand Mm. the presence of his kingdom. So Jack Miller was the person that seeded my heart with the possibility of, at some point, connecting closely to the local church. And then Jack was the one that said, Scotty, I believe it would please the Father for you to plant that church in Franklin, Tennessee. So wow. I've had some good fathering along the way and spiritual mothering as well. Yeah, it, sound, it sounds like it. You you had mentioned Jack Miller just a couple months ago when I got yes. to sit under your teaching down there in Florida. And he also, if I remember right, was the one that encouraged Tim Keller to go to, to New was. York City. Is that he right? Yeah. Yes, good memory, Jared. Um, yeah, Tim came to Westminster a year after I left. He came from Gordon-Conwell, 
after getting his MDiv to Westminster to get his doctor ministry, and he got involved with one of the church plants of Jack, and Jack was the one that said to Tim, Tim, I believe um, God's calling you to New York to plant church. And mm. so, humanly speaking, Tim would say that Jack was uh, to blame for Redeemer. <laughs> That's a good thing to be blamed for. It you know? is a very good thing. Uh, so if people wanted to learn more about Jack Miller, did he write some books that you could recommend? or? Um, did... Yeah, he did. Jack, I mean, Jack wrote um, not um, tons of books. There's been, you know, a, a lot of things uh, written about him, actually, after his death. A lot okay. of things recorded. But one of the most central little books he ever wrote was a book called Outgrowing the Ingrown Church. And it kind of was a account of his own... A discovery with the riches of the gospel and his calling as a church planter okay. to really begin to plant churches with a, with a gospel centrality with the leader being the chief repenter mm. in the church, the leader as the most thirsty for grace and the most willing to live a life of repentant joy in the congregation. So that's a good book. And then there's one that many folks that never met Jack Love called... Um, Letters to a Servant Leader, and this is a compilation of a bunch of letters he wrote to many of us, his daughters and sons, That uh, letters that were uh, gathered by his wife, Rosemarie Miller, and his daughter, Barbara. Okay. And, uh, they are, it is, those letters really show his heart for the gospel, his heart as a pastor, and uh, just a lot of wisdom there. Oh, that's that's good. That, that's going to be fun. I'm going to put that on my... Amazon list and pick those up. Again, the, anything you mentioned, by the way, for our listeners out there, I'm going to put these in the show notes, so make sure and check out the show notes for, for Scotty's recommendations here. Um, okay, I've got a quote from the Grace of God chapter from J.I. Packer's Knowing God. I was 24 years old reading this book, and this absolutely captured me. Here's what he says. To be sure, there have always been some who have found the thought of grace so overwhelmingly wonderful that they could never get over it. Grace has become the constant theme of their talks and prayers. They've written hymns about it, some of the finest, and it takes deep feeling to produce a good hymn. They fought for it, accepted ridicule, loss of privilege, if need be, for the price for their stand. He says, with Paul, their testimony is, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He keeps going. He says, but many church people are not like this. They may pay lip service to the idea of grace, but there they stop. The concept of grace is not so much debased as non-existent. The thought means nothing to them. It does not touch their experience at all. Talk to them about the church's heating or last year's accounts, and they're with you at once. But speak to them about the realities to, work, to which the word grace points, and their attitude is one of differential blankness. They do not accuse you of talking nonsense. They do not doubt that your words have meaning, but they feel that whatever it is you're talking about, it's beyond them. And the longer they've lived without it, the surer, the surer that they are at that stage of life. They don't really need it. I, It was during the season that God's grace just overwhelmed me. Um, why do you love the grace of God so much? You're a man known for loving God's grace. Why? Well, I... First of all, love Packer's quote there in that book, Knowing God, has been one of the probably five most important books I've read in 50 years of being a believer. Wow. But um, for me, my uh, easiest way to respond to that question is, is to remember that in the Bible, grace is a person before it's a proposition. In other mm. words, it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think if we think of it in those terms, Jared, that when we use the word grace, we're talking about the, 
a person and work of Jesus Christ. It's it's the good news about Jesus Christ, mm. who he is in eternity, who he is in his incarnation, life, death, resurrection, ascension, current reign, uh, return, returning one who will finish making all things new. So when we discover that grace is far more, uh, simply shorthand for the glory and the, and the grace and the work of Jesus, it mm. becomes more understandable. So unfortunately, however, grace in many parts of the church history, even in the American church experience, has been contrasted with something. Uh, grace versus law, mm-hmm. grace versus legalism, and and some people, unfortunately, have dumbed down that conversation so that um, Jesus is not as central to the conversation as he should be. But, mm. you know, uh, in Packer's quote, one of the things that's quote is quite obvious is... Um, those who need the grace of God the most treasure it the most. Mm. And, and I think in my life as a pastor, as a husband, as a dad, as a, a broken man coming more alive to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you know, greater awareness of need has led to a greater boasting in Christ. Because mm. that's, that's really what the bottom line is. How do we think about Jesus? What has he come to do? What is he doing right now? Who was he even before he came into this world? Why is it when we see him that we will eternally adore him? And that, mm. that's the heartbeat of grace. Yeah. Gosh, it's just so good. So good. Uh, grace is a person over a proposition. And yes. that's wonderful. Um, what we've got to know, I think, just from those first few questions a little bit about you, I want to ask some um, kind of move into some questions about pastoral ministry and sure. and your life. You mentioned just a second ago a husband and a father, and those callings are so precious, and they're callings that are actually prerequisite callings to being a pastor, according to First Timothy three and Titus one, and um, at least to be managing household well and being a one woman man. And and so for you over the life of of ministry, uh, how many kids did you have, Scotty? Yeah, thank you. So yeah. Darlene and I, we had our forty. 40- Seventh anniversary, Ooh, last May the fifth, and uh, we had two adult children: daughter Kristen, son Scott, and three grandsons: Finn, Otis, and Otto. So I've got grandsons with things that rock the world. So mm. we all live in the Greater Nashua area, which is wonderful, Jared. But um, that has been a journey for both Darlene and I. We both grew up in um, broken families, marked by. A sin and death and a, and, a, and a lack of the presence of the gospel. So uh, our growth in grace and our acceptance of a calling into vocational ministry uh, has continued to be um, seeing all of those environments, marriage, parenting, um, our own story work, being the laboratory for the outworking of the grace of God. So um, yes. very thankful, very humbled, very glad to be uh, in all of those realms. Well, now, okay, you you and I are in a little bit different stages for for parenting. My my sons are four and one, and my oldest is going to be five in just about a month. I'm excited about that. And uh, this word balance gets thrown around all the time about life ministry. Now you're you're you know you're teaching, you're traveling, you're a husband, a father of grown children, but also a grandfather, and learning you know what what does that mean? You know what responsibilities do I have as a grandfather? So. How do you, how do you looking back and for for maybe some advice for some some younger guys that are kind of getting off and getting started in this thing? Uh, what, what's some ways that you kind of put appropriate guardrails up um, 
not to uh, separate yourself from people, not putting up walls, but just balance to be able to make sure that, that you were able to bring life to your family and joy. And uh, Could you kind of maybe give us some advice about the balance of ministry, family, yeah, church? Yeah, and, and that word balance is such a good word. Uh, it reminds me of, of categories for Darlene and I that have become equally critical along with balance, just stewardship, the stewardship of her heart, stewardship of her marriage, of her, of her children. And I would say that... Um, Nothing has shaped me more than to watch my spiritual mom and dad, Jack and Rosemary Miller, live out before us. What does it mean to um, gladly enter into uh, the sacrificial calling of vocational ministry, but realizing that God will never have us in that calling, sacrifice the integrity, the beauty, and the health uh, of us of ourselves individually, or as couples, or as parents. So. Uh, models are important. Choosing our models well. If, mm. you, if you choose a model that basically has a out of proportion life, you know, you know, and there there are some people that uh, unfortunately choose driven people rather than called people for their models, and their marriages end up uh, shipwrecked. Their kids grow up in many ways just feeling having been marginalized for dad's job, uh, which happened to be working at a church. So. Um, modeling a life of balance, seeing in Scripture clearly mm-hmm. that none of us, no pastor, you, me, Jared, anybody else, none of us is the fourth member of the Trinity, so let's not take ourselves <laughs> too seriously, right? Oh, we right. know that it's always a work of God, and um, so whether it's planning a church, whether it's uh, uh, some other form of a vocational ministry, to keep a good proportion on gospel centrality means it's a triune God that's building the church, that's expanding the kingdom, and we're characters in that story and carriers of that story. Mm. And God's story is also not just being told in the churches we plant, but our marriages. And uh, so, you know, these different elements, good models, uh, listening to the voice of Scripture, where we realize burnout is not a calling anywhere, mm. that God gives us all things freely to enjoy. If I'm not enjoying Sabbath rest, if I am not I'm making time to play, uh, to pray, um, to work as unto the Lord, then uh, maybe I am living more of a driven life than a caught mm. life. So I think a lot of these elements so that immediately come to mind for me of what has been involved in fighting that good fight of a, of a balanced, faithful life in all these arenas. Yeah, yeah. That that is uh, it is crucial. I think that um, you 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 use the word burnout, and I've seen so many pastors burn out. In fact, I've only seen one in trying to choose a model. To model after is is can be hard sometimes because there are so many pastors that that burn out and just locally this is just and I, I know there are more outside of Southern Illinois and but as far as locally I know one pastor who has started and finished ministry well that hasn't uh, either burned out or moral failure um, or divorced his wife or kids hate them uh just there's a four or five criteria that i kind of look at of about finishing well and i've got my eye on the second pastor uh he's a he's a pastor in our town but why are why do so many pastors burn out why is it so hard to find healthy uh, pastors well, yeah, let me back up one second and say jared i'm so thankful you're part of sojourn uh network because y'all are fighting the fight y'all are asking mm. those questions now and i think it, it you know unfortunately and Seminary, uh, many times we don't give a very good vision of a faithful, balanced life, of seeing every 
aspect of our calling, uh, our personal health, um, mm-hmm. our, our marriages, our friendships, as, as just as important as to what happens when we step into the pulpit. So, um, you know, I think a lot of guys burn out, a lot of men and women burn out in ministry because they haven't been taught, haven't been given a vision, really what a ministry uh, uh, marked by the gospel looks like. I think also there's a real naivete Jared, about what's involved in vocational ministry. Uh, uh, every calling God gives his sons and daughters uh, between the resurrection and return of Jesus will demand a lot. But I think there are some that are more singularly marked with some spiritual warfare. So mm-hmm. I think there's naivete for all of us and the people helping people serving callings about um, there, uh, there's a dramatic, uh, there's a dramatic uh, depletion that goes on in a part of our calling, and sometimes what happens, Jared, is that we end up using parts of our ministry almost like Christian cocaine. We, we, wow. we, we think, yeah. I really love to preach, and so we get exhilarated through certain parts of our ministry, but we don't realize that there's a real drain going on uh, that if we're not building, if we're not putting margins in place, it's going to catch up with us and kick our fannies. I mean, I think mm. it's one of the reasons why the disciples were even confused at Jesus when he would walk by obvious needs to go up into the mountains and spend time with his father. I mean, if mm. the incarnate Jesus did not feel like the need was the call, Jared, you and I well, must yeah. not believe that lie either. We've got to build you know, a lifestyle of wholeness, and freshness and fullness that looks far more like Eden and also will be far more what life in the new heaven and new earth is going to look like, which is Mm. a very balanced, robust life of living, working, and playing to the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so helpful. I'm thinking through, and this wasn't in the questions that I sent you, I'm just kind of thinking through it as we're talking here, but it's so easy to equate being a workaholic and just, just grinding it out with yeah. with faithfulness and and somehow or another like if i if i get all these things done then i'm doing well but there's something else. so you said that you know the work is not primarily you know the, the, it's not just simply about getting things done and and that yeah that's that's my brain spinning here thinking about that I, you know be, being a workaholic will get you praise from everybody but jesus and your family that's pretty right. much um, and see, that goes back really to the core reality of, um, <clears throat> am I believing, am I experiencing the riches of the gospel? Because the more we are alive to the um, theology and doxology of God's grace, the more we will remember that we are, our calling is to be worshipers first, workers second. Hmm. And uh, the paradox, and, and many times in um, uh, Christian subculture, you know, we end up reinforcing legalism and pragmatism uh, rather than celebrating the gospel. And uh, it's why, like I said, I'm gladly going to be a broken record, I think, uh, for Sojourn Network to do, to do the good work of saying, how can we build a gospel culture that will create a greater likelihood that we will see a, a generation of pastors finishing with healthy marriages, mm-hmm. uh, with, with kids that will at least be able to say, we were loved well, yeah, it yeah. was hard work, but, you know, and I think that's, that, that's that's why we cannot afford to be isolated. It's why we've got to keep having 
the conversations at every level of training uh, women and men for different aspects of vocational ministry to say, what does the gospel actually, actually demand? What does sacrifice look like? What does um, uh, Sabbath as a culture look like rather than a legalistic view of simply what I do with my Sunday mm-hmm. or for those of us in vocational ministry, another day that we would set aside for rest. Yeah, that's so helpful. You know, I think a lot of these things have to do uh, with identity and, and a pastor, yes. where a pastor yeah. puts his identity. And, you know, I've known some pastors, you know, you threw your age out there. You know, you said you were 70 and I, I've seen... Yeah, yes, my next birthday. Okay, coming up on 70. And so that, that baby boomer, you're kind of tucked right in that baby boomer, uh, yeah. you know, generation. And if I can humbly throw, I can critique my generation pretty well. But one of the things that I've witnessed about your generation is pastors who do tie their identity to the work. And, oh, absolutely. And so when retirement comes, it, it becomes a very much a problem for yeah. for the pastor now you're you've been retired and you've you've formally retired you're clearly still working God's called us to work until he calls right. us home um, but how are you doing with identity issues now that you're not the lead pastor of the church that you uh, that God used you to plant how are you doing with with that well you know it, that's a great question in fact when I was moving into a season of transition from senior pastor to um, a slower lifestyle, I shouldn't say really slower, but one less intense. I actually feel like I'm living with 70% less stress since I'm not a senior pastor, mm. but schedule's still full. So, uh, But when I was getting ready to move off of a senior pastor position, I did have friends say, now, how are you gonna, what are you going to do with your depression? What are you going to do when you wake up? And you know, what you've always done isn't there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think because I've been walking with good friends like Tim Keller and others, uh, who have been planning transitions, and because gospel sanity has been more grilled into me, uh, mm. you know what? I have I have not looked back and said, "Ooh, I did that too soon." I think that um, uh, good discipleship and mentoring prepared me well for the season I'm in now, where I get to pour into younger leaders more like yourself, and uh, that was just modeled for me. I mean, uh, Jack Miller did not mm. care who got the laurels and the kudos he was just excited when um churches would be planted that centered on jesus and that when um you know uh the the kingdom would advance with him or without him so you know there's just been a lot of good things that i can look back and say here's probably why i did not fall into depression or start acting out real destructively with some other addiction uh fathered well i did go through at age 50 a real burnout that you heard a little bit about when we yeah. were together in mm-hmm. Naples, but through that, through that brokenness, through that recovery from burnout, I think um, these, you know, almost 20 years now have been far more lived and marked by gospel sanity, mm. and therefore a lot more joy and a lot, you know, um, greater trust in the God of resurrection that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and the kingdom is going to advance with me or without me. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's so helpful, and just across the board, wherever we're at in ministry, that's that's just really, yeah. really helpful. But hey, this is fun. I just got one more question for you. Throughout your way, and sure. and uh, uh, if if you could go back, you could jump in the Marty McFly time machine and uh, go back and talk to yourself as a younger man. What kind of counsel would you give yourself uh, when you were just starting out in ministry? What what would you count? 
you know, whether it's one thing or five things, what, what would you say to young Scotty? Uh, thank great question, Chair. Uh, I would, I would have loved to have discovered sooner, uh, both as a, just a follower of Jesus, but then certainly as someone, uh, called into, uh, a, a career, a calling, a vocational ministry, uh, I would have wanted to have a vision of, of a more, uh, a greater vision of what is a healthy follower of Jesus look like. Uh, I would have I wanted to see that that involves physical, emotional, spiritual, mental health. I, I think um, the Jesus movement in some ways made it easy for some of us to live a little bit more like Gnostics, Hmm. thinking, well, we don't really need to sleep, you know, Jesus is coming back in the next three years, so just you know, <laughs> get out there and crank it out for Jesus. But you know, the gospel's clear. We're, we're in a story of resurrection. The body that you and I live in, is, it's marked for resurrection. So taking care of ourselves, knowing that sometimes the godliest thing we can do is take a nap. I think, uh, so a holistic view of health, I think I would have also, a younger Scotty, uh, walked more closely with uh, a gospel posse mm. uh, as an introvert with extroverted gifts. It's been easy for me to just kind of manage my relationships rather than live in deep, deep community, the community of brokenness and dependence and interdependence. I would have far earlier developed deeper friendships. Um, you know, I would have, uh, you know, just across the board, I just think that that, that Great question you have, Jared. Again, answered more by how does the Bible actually dis- declare or describe health? And I think it's why now, as someone that's adjunct faculty at three seminaries, I'm wanting seminaries to think of now about requiring, alongside of other required courses, uh, emotional intelligence, mm, conflict management, you know, uh, uh, gospel lifestyle. So. It's just a lot of those kinds of things that I see now are far more a part of a good understanding of the gospel that in my day, uh, unfortunately, pragmatism, getting the job done, or uh, even um, a theoretical grace, but still marked by drivenness and pride and approval suck and all those kinds of things, mm. had more power. So uh, ho- hope that doesn't sound too abstract, but sort no. of handled there about... You know, I would believe the Bible more than I did then. I, I defended its inerrancy at times more than I actually uh, practiced the mm. duty and the sanity of the lifestyle of the gospel. Well, well, that's all helpful stuff. This has been a lot of fun. I'm really thankful that I think I think my listeners really I think like me will be really encouraged. I mean, this has been this has been great. Well, listen. If, if I talk too fast and too long, call me back. Let's do this again. I'd love just to further well, encourage. Yeah. You, Jared, and what you're doing, and thankful for podcasts like this and conversations yeah. among young leaders. And uh, That's good. please be encouraged to invite me back sometime. It'd be wonderful. Now, if, before we before we go here, tell us where we can read uh, your where we can find your blog, where Absolutely. we can get your books. So if anybody would just kind of intrigued with this uh, North Carolina redneck accent and some of the things we spoke about. Uh, uh, on and, and Twitter world, uh, my handle is simply Scotty Ward Smith at Scotty Ward Smith. Um, if you Google my name uh, at the Gospel Coalition, I write every day for the Gospel Coalition a prayer blog called Heavenward, and there are seven books I've written and published there uh, that are um, 
post it out, uh, or even you can, you know, our listeners can subscribe to the daily uh, gospel shaped prayers or write every morning. So uh, that might be the best way, or you can go into the local U.S. post office and probably see my face on the most wanted somewhere as well. So. <laughs> I think I've seen that there. Now, is there like a, a financial reward or something for turning yeah, you in? Yeah, that's or? right. Find this man, turn him in. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks so much. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. And everybody, thanks so much for listening in. Hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.